M. Rossiano. So, Chris, we all know you're circumcised. Tell us more. And Michael Lucas. I mean, I feel like I am becoming you. It's like you possess me. <laughs> this <laughs> is M. Salation. I'm really close to shaving my hair off. <gasps> Sinead O'Connor style. Probably more Britney, 2007. <laughs> you're in M. Salation. Hello, my darlings. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. What if I sing you like, good morning, good morning, nice to see you. Maybe it's the evening though. Good evening, good evening. Yeah, sorry, I'm just trying to mask my, (sighs) anyway, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Another week of lockdown in Melbourne. It's all right, it's all right, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's not fine. But anyway, Hi. Hi, my name's M. Rossiano. Welcome to Emsolation. It's the podcast that I do with my best friend, Michael Lucas. He's a screenwriter. And, you know, we just talk about the stuff that's kind of interested us during the week. There's no real rhyme or reason. And that's why I think it works. Because we just talk about whatever we want to talk about. If you don't know who I am, hi, hi. This is kind of a good week for you to meet me, I think. We're quite, like, you know, chill this week. We're just talking about some stuff. Some TV shows that Michael has made are hitting the... not airwaves. What are they called? TV waves? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a tech person. And yeah, I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comic. I'm a maximalist power queen. I have t-shirts that say that. You can buy them at mrossiano.com. And this is the thing that I do once a week, which I love and Spotify support this madness, which is great. I'm really just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop one day and they'll be like, what? What have we, what have we done? What? Nah, they love us. They tell us. It's good. (laughs) Look, it's been a funny old day. Yes, Melbourne are heading into another week and everywhere else. I mean, pretty much. Is anyone not in lockdown at the moment? Like Tasmania probably? I don't know. How's Adelaide going? And I think I finally hit the pandemic fatigue wall this week. It's taken me 18 months, 19 months, but I think finally I've been trying to, you know, maintain a positive view and like, come on, this is not something we chose, but there's nothing we can do about it other than accept it and to get on with it. And just this week, I'm like, I don't know if I can get on with it. I don't know if I want to get on with it. I'm tired. Normally I'm fueled by this kind of unquenchable fire to get shit done. And now I know that's kind of ADHD. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that being said, I'm currently in the middle of painting the ceiling at my house because I was lying on the couch the other day and I was looking up at the ceiling and I was like, oh God, that is, that ceiling needs some love. So we're in the middle of like taping it up and Scott and I are going to paint. We've only had like four fights so far. So <laughs> do you know what? I definitely think that like marriage counsellors would suggest that in like what has been 18 months of seven days a week, 24 hours a day with my spouse, that we start doing home renovations together. I feel like that is such a smart decision we've made. <laughs> How are your relationships going, huh? With all the like kids are at home and everyone's kind of, it's hard to, oh, it's hard to get any time. Like, thank God I've got this. Thank God I have you guys. I've got a reason to, I'm in my bedroom. I've shut the door. I've barricaded the door. I'm not lying. I took a photo of it until I can put it. I have literally barricaded the door, but don't think that hasn't stopped my two-year-old sticking his little fingers underneath like poltergeist. God. Breathe in. Breathe. Look, but I am very, very grateful for so many reasons you don't understand because obviously life performance is 
well, it's just not happening. So the fact that I have this job and that you guys show up each week to allow me to keep this job does not go unnoticed. I really, I really, anyway, it's a big week for lots of reasons. Mainly Michael Lucas has been working on this show for the last, you know, six years more called The Newsreader. And it's hitting your telly Sunday night on the ABC at 8.30. And I have kind of had a front row seat to this process. And I can tell you, my best friend has put everything he is into the, including his own production company made it. He's put all his own money, his love, his talent. He's like, he's gone nights without sleep. He shot it during a pandemic. He's done his absolute best and most to make this thing. And it is good. It is so, so good. And I had a moment, I watched it today. I watched the first episode and you'll hear he and I talk about it, but we had a little bit of a fight about my reaction, which you'll hear about. (laughs) But what you need to know, I guess, is that this show, Michael was writing it while he had a front row seat to what was happening to me while I was in breakfast radio. And I've kind of started tackling that issue in therapy and I feel very raw about it and and I realised how much trauma I have buried and smiled my way through surrounding that time. And so when I watched his show, I'm getting teary. (laughs) When I watched his show, I saw how much he took in and how much he cared about what was happening for me. And he's infused some of that into Helen, the main character. And it's kind of the greatest gift one person can give to another So on a really personal, selfish level, this show is weirdly a part of me coming to terms with the trauma that I carry from that and having it validated by the person, you know, I kind of love most in the world that doesn't live with me. It's a brilliant show. I can't speak highly enough of it. And I know you'll all watch it, but it's just, I'm so proud of him. And there's something about this, the lockdown, and I don't know if it's been happening for you, but stuff keeps coming up for me because it's so quiet all of the time. You know, it's, you're spending a lot of time with yourself. And while of course I've got five people in this house and I'm busy, like there's always something to do. There are times where my brain just starts kind of going back over all things and I am doing therapy every Friday. And so, you know, I sit down with Dr. Lisa and she just kind of allows me to go wherever I've gone, you know, that week mentally. And a lot of things now that it has space is bubbling up. Lots of things are bubbling up for me. The miscarriage, Ray has come up this week. Breakfast radio stuff has, for some reason, been haunting me. Stuff with, like, from when I was a kid that I'd buried. And I know it's happening for a lot of you guys. You're spending all this time at home, alone with your thoughts, without the usual busyness of everyday life when you're not in a pandemic. And all the stuff you kind of realise that you haven't dealt with just appears and you're like, oh, fuck off. So you can either choose to kind of like drink it away or push it away or eat it away, which is what I've been doing a lot of for most of my adult life. But I've decided to kind of bite it off and be like, okay, you're here. So what are we, what's, what's happening? What are we going to do? So if that's happening for you, I'm with 
you. I'm in the trenches with you. I understand. And it's kind of gross and big and hard. But just know if this is happening for you, it's totally normal. I know that. My psychologist said that. And it's hard and brave. And if you're doing work that other people don't see, I see you and I salute you and I'm doing it with you. It's awful. You know, at 42, I'm still learning things. Oh, okay, so that's why I was a dickhead there and that's why that affected me and that's why I burst into tears there and this is why. Like, it's it's hard. And then at some point you have to kind of just go, okay, so I've got all this trauma. I'm going to decide to walk beside it instead of having it on my back, instead of allowing it to weigh me down so much to the point I am white-knuckling life and crawling on my knees And I'm in the process now, I think, which is why it's sticky and hard, of lifting my trauma up and placing her beside me. And I will walk beside her, but hope and acknowledge her and see her and dip into her every now and then to understand myself better. But my ultimate goal with all the trauma I'm carrying is to just to walk beside her and never really have to meet head on ever again. She's become my parallel line. And when I lost Ray, people said he was my parallel line, you know, something really close to me, but we'll never meet, but we'll always be side by side. And I'm applying that analogy to my trauma in my counselling. It is something that will always be a part of me. It is something that I can never escape, but it is something I can just walk beside. Do you know what I mean? Does that sound really super weird? I'm spending too much time on my own. I'm sorry if that's weird. Yes, so that's it. (laughs) Also, a video of mine is now over 2.5 million views, which is super weird. Chella and I did a little sketch about the Olympics and it's just gone viral. And of all the things I've ever made, I didn't think me standing in speedos aggressively snapping goggles on my head would go viral, but here we are. And also I've got anti-vaxxers after me. Holy shit, no wonder I'm sitting here like desperately hanging on. <laughs> the anti-vaxxers are after me. I got my vaccine, I got a Pfizer, got the Pfizer shot, didn't get boobs, didn't have wild dreams. So something's wrong, clearly. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a big, it's been a big week. <laughs> just saying all that out loud. Anyway, thanks for being here. Uh, What you're about to hear is Michael and I, I don't know, talking about his shows. And then we talk a bit about, oh, Jock. Jock's on Frillo's had a a week too. Apparently, well, not apparently. I don't know, read his autobiography and went and researched some of the facts and has come back and said it's some of it's bullshit. So we talk about that. And also we kind of give you some TV shows to watch because God knows you've got the time. Happy to be of service. Thank you for being here as always. And I don't know, tell a friend about us. Recommend us. (laughs) I'm laughing. I'm sitting here in a Franco Cotso t-shirt. I'm at buying novelty t-shirts level of pandemic. Right now, I've spent so much money online last week. You don't even, I can't, I can't, I can't talk about it. Bye guys. Talk soon. Play the music. M. Luciano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. We bring in my exhausted comrade who I've already had a snitchy text exchange with this morning. I had to walk out and show my family because I couldn't believe it. No, it's true. Have I'm you just, recovered? I have recovered. I, nine times out of ten, if there's a person in this relationship that is on a hair trigger and, and on the brink of crying uh, at any moment, I, I'd say actually not nine times out of ten, but more likely, if you're a betting person, you bet that that would be a not today. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And also I'm feeling it to a degree that is, I think, unprecedented. Anyway. <laughs> I'm okay. No, it's all right. I, Michael Lucas, for those of you who are unaware, we should be aware because all we talk about, has 
two shows being birthed this week onto the Australian media landscape. Mm. And one of them in particular, Five Bedrooms, of course, has gone out on Paramount Plus. Guys, now, Michael, I believe people can sign up and get a, a free trial. They can indeed, yes. Right. If you go to Paramount Plus Australia, just Google it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, good. Now, I have to tell you, Jenny and Vince watched the first seasons of Five Bedrooms in preparation, my parents. I'm so, I'm so th- honoured, frankly. I'm honoured. And do you want my dad's feedback? Well, something about par- he had a problem with the party scenes, but go, yeah, give it to me. What did he say? He said, tell Michael he's funnier than Jerry Seinfeld. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Vincey loved it. He ate it up. He loved it so much. He just loved everything about it. Honestly, I've never seen him so excited. It was basically like I'd written it, which in his mind, because you are pretty much a family member, I did write it. And to an extension, that means he wrote it. So, Oh, wow. I yeah. would never, to be honest, have picked Vincey as a potential fan of the show. So I'm, ah, oh, thanks, Vincey. <laughs> so they're very excited. They've downloaded Paramount Plus in preparation now. And all episodes are available for streaming. Get on it, watch it. But I don't want to talk about Five Bedrooms today. My main concern is your show, The Newsreader which yes. is launching on Sunday night, ABC. 8.30. Uh, 8.30. Mm-hmm. Right after Joanna now, Lumley. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a great ideal lead-in for us, but I do know that you're up against The Voice, The Block and Survivor. Survivor. Just some little-known little franchises. No one watches them. Ah, fine. <laughs> fine. What? What shows are you mentioning? I don't know what you're talking about. But I don't care. I'm confident. I'm confident... Because, well, this is what we had our snitchy text exchange over. I sent a one-line kind of message that said, I've watched the newsreader. I watched the first ep. And I usually hold off on Michael's shows because I like to watch them in the wild and pretend like I don't know him. Like, I'm watching it for the first time. And, oh, what is this? You know? I love the idea of you actually taking, like, your laptop into a forest to watch it. And I would really <laughs> respect it if you did choose that way. And if you haven't watched Twilight that way, get on it. Anyway. Of I have. No, but do you know, like, do you ever, like, post something or write something and then try to make yourself have fresh eyes and go and look oh. at it as though you remember? Yeah, you remember. Yeah, print it out, take it to a cafe or take it to a library. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, it feels different. Like, when I watch my yeah. own shows go to air, it's different. Mm. I don't know, you mm. just, it's just a different vibe in the air. Now, I'm a bit nervous about Sunday night because I'm not going to be able to be in the same room with you and I'm going to have to try and convince your husband to wrestle Twitter off you. I do not (laughs) want you ruining what is a triumphant, incredible night. You and I will be Skyping with cocktails and it's going to be an amazing event. You are not to be monitoring Twitter forensically. I don't know how I'm going to stop this. I don't think I can. Well, I'm going to tweet the way through it. So, But what I can do is get my draft my tweets and set them to go out. No, I... I've got I've got a little bit better. I'm not going to sit on it. What I'm going to do is just look once in the middle and once at the end. So I sent Michael a message this morning. Just said I watched the newsreader. Full stop. And then I was expecting back and because I was like doing a build up. And then what I got back was just like I am busy. I am stressed. I have got back to back interviews till I speak to you. You can tell me if you hated it or you were bored then. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> No, because it was just you just said. I watched the newsreader. Like, nothing more to say. I would then read my next text. I tried to explain my distress. Oh, yeah. It was fine. It was, we, were, we were both in the wrong, which is fine. I should have been more sensitive to your state today and you perhaps should have had more faith in my love of everything you make. 
Oh, but I, I could totally. You never. You can't. I wish. I wish I ever felt that anything that I did would uh, felt confident of the reaction I get of anything. <laughs> I just. Oh from no! Me, from me specifically, your best friend in the whole world. It's it's high. It just raises the stakes. It just raises the stakes. And also it raises the stakes. But also, well, I mean, obviously we'll get into this, but, uh, you know, obviously I'd say out of everything that I've written, there are certain aspects that, you know, we've been spending a lot of time with each other, in, certainly in the years that I've been writing that. And to say that probably you might have uh, influenced me in the writing, you know, there's probably more of your DNA in this yes. than there is of a lot yes, of other things I've written. <laughs> so let's get into my review. So yeah, it was nerve-wracking. <laughs> anyway, that's why I was but also to be fair, I was doing I was doing a yeah. run of radio interviews and I'm just used to like let's just say the five bedrooms interviews are just lovely and it's just do the cast <laughs> ever have sleepovers? Do like all that sort of stuff is what they say. Mm. It's really, really lovely. And um, this one, because the show tackles with a lot of, you know, there's misogyny, there's racism, there's homophobia, people mm. have got some questions mm. to ask me and it is exhausting. And some people don't agree mm. with what I have put on screen and they're not afraid to tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael had some really tricky, hairy interviews this morning. We'll get into what you're being asked about because really, in my opinion, I, well, first of all, I loved it. I mean, it's, I'm so proud of you because you've made something that I can sense the DNA of the shows that we grew up watching with our mums, you know, like (laughs) it's got a, it's got a lot of 80s heart about it. It's got that sense of kind of no glamour, grit, kind of desperation, bit of humour. Like, it's got all those things that we loved. It's very Sorkin-esque in the way it's been presented. Like, you can tell that you love seasons one to five of West Wing when you watch (laughs) the newsreader. I loved it. But I cried through most of it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it it was... I mean, I'm, I cried out for a few reasons. First of all, I'm really proud of you because you've made exactly what you wanted to make. Like, you don't need to worry that you've not done what you intended to do and started making all those years ago. I'm still sad it's not called Lavender Marriage, but anyway. (laughs) But (laughs) Helen, the main female lead, played by... Is it Anna Torv or Anna Torv? I always say Anna, Anna, but is it Anna? Well, in person, she's Anna. I mean, she does have Estonian heritage, so, you know. But uh, it's Anna, yeah. And she plays Helen so beautifully and... Accurately, and just with one look, there's a particular scene right at the top where she realises she does, she's not getting to read the meaty news story. It's been given to the mail anchor. And as he starts to read about Margaret Thatcher to the camera, it just like zooms in on her seething. And it was just an <laughs> with some Phil Collins in the air tonight style <sighs> drum beats. <laughs> so good. And then obviously the you character is. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know that we've, you've really. I know, I put you in a difficult position. uh, You really have put me in a difficult position. And yeah, Dale and Helen, while a lot of, you and I have never had a romantic relationship. You and I have like, I've never overdosed on pills and called you. Like there's, there's things that will happen during this season that are way more extreme than what you and I have ever gone through. But the essence of their relationship in their DNA, I, it felt quite, like, I, it was quite intimate. Like, I was watching going, oh, God, he's really not held back. <laughs> <laughs> like, you and I are sewn into the, 
yeah, the, the DNA of, of this show that you've made, which is why, and I also felt really seen because the way you've written her and some of the things that happened to her have happened to me in a way and you understood it and then kind of, and, and a lot of women who have been ever called difficult or too much in their lives will watch your show and feel seen. Oh, that'd be good. I'd love it if that happened. No, it's, they will. I, I just can't, even just watching that first episode and just seeing her, like I've been in meetings with male bosses when they have said to me, you know, no one else will work with you in this industry. Everyone knows how difficult you are and I'm the only one willing to take you on. And those lines have been said to me. And mm. I have been made to believe that I am completely toxic and a pariah and that no one will ever hire me again, so I've just got to cop what's happening. And that was said to me in the exact same way. And watching Helen storm out of the office, barely holding it together and going home and just little things like not shutting the car door, you know, because she's so... Yeah. That, that, that's... I've left engines running in cars. I couldn't get to a safe space quick enough. So, yeah, well done. That's my review. Um, it's brilliant. <laughs> All Emsolators must watch on Sunday night and then watch again on iView. I'm really, I'm really proud of you. I, oh, well thank done, you. Babes. That's uh, that's uh, that is a, as you can probably tell, given my emotional state, an enormous relief. Yeah, no, it is just the aspect of. You know, there's more DNA. I mean, there was, you know, we always joke about, and it's true, bits of Billy, you know, and and various other characters that we've written and everything like that. But this, the centre of this is the Helen Dale relationship and it is, you know, unquestionably aspects of that are derived <laughs> from <laughs> us and our strengths and weaknesses and our, you know, what we... Oh, there's, a moment, we there's a moment I laughed so hard and it was just me and you. There's the one moment where where she realised she wants to pitch these hard-hitting stories, their special reports, and Dale gets told he has to kind of supervise her to make sure she doesn't go and do, like, feminist stories or AIDS stories. And he's sitting there going, I've got some other story ideas. It's the first day of school. It's, and she's, like, getting angrier and angrier. And then he realises, like, oh! Female astronaut in space. Like, and it's something you would do. You I would know. try and please. I really connect with Dale in that moment. And I feel like, and also Anna does the most amazing face back to him when he's reached. She doesn't say anything. <laughs> she sits there and listens. And I have seen that moment when you're, I can see you're sinking back into the fury and just not letting it be shown. And, um, yeah, I know. She did really well with it's, that. So what is your... What's your greatest hope when people watch this thing that you've made? Like, if you can kind of reach into the minds of every viewer, what do you, what's your greatest hope for this project? Oh, yeah, that they care about the characters. That's all you hope. You just want them to get emotionally on board. You want them to, you want, yeah, you just construct the story so that people care and feel like they're feeling their triumphs and their failures. And their, their, I, I always try to write things that are really intensely connected with the lead characters. And, yeah, just hoping that what they go through on screen, you really... You feel it and and you know but like when you've got amazing actors like those actors then oh. I mean you know they do so much of the work for me but um yeah that's what I that's what I hope I mean obviously there's as I'm increasingly aware it there's a lot of uh, hot button topics that it covers but my main well, thing let's is talk about this yes <laughs> because you keep getting like Michael's been going through these interviews with because they have access to him as the writer and he's also kind of a well-known screenwriter in Australia now mm. and there's a lot of aspiring screenwriters out there that would look at Michael and be like oh god I really just want his career right now so 
they, they're not afraid to go there with you. I feel like journalists go harder on writers than they do on, say, celebrities or actors. Or, you know what I mean? Like it's mm. almost like you guys are comrades in the war. So they ask you questions they wouldn't ask the actors. I'll tell you right now, Michael, some of the things you were asked, they would not ask the actors. They just wouldn't. Yeah. So the number one thing that came up, and let's address it here because I think we should talk about it because, you know, apparently everyone else is, is you made a very clear-cut decision to have a diverse cast. Like that yeah. was something very important to you. But the problem with that is... Well, the problem with that is that, yeah, of course, the, the reality, and I, I do not want to be anything other than frank about this, newsrooms in the 80s were predominantly blokey and white and still to today, actually, they still are. But uh, yeah. back in the 80s, it was extreme and there's definitely more people of colour in the office that I present. And, but having said that, it's not... It's not like there weren't examples. Of course there were, and I was riveted by them, but they were the exceptions to the rule. And, mm. um, yeah, but, I mean, I just... Like, the, the main example in there is this character. Her name's Nolene, and she's played by Michelle Lim Davidson, and she's Korean, and she's the office dog's body assistant. She's, she's seated in there in episode one, but she becomes a really main character. And for me... Like, part of the kick of the show is that I'm, our parents were the age of these characters and these, this was their working environment. And, you know, my mother-in-law, she's Chinese-Malaysian and mm. she has these amazing stories about working in the 80s and she can talk really frankly about the kind of, a kind of prejudice that she came up against. And she's got this amazing spirit, super strong spirit, that she, she absolutely was able to rise above it all. And in many ways, yeah, I, I looked at this story as a way, yeah, I'm telling the story of a newsroom office, but I'm also kind of like hopefully using the story to just talk about where the country was at the time. And you can't tell the story of Australia in the 80s without talking about first-generation immigrants coming into the workplace because that was just, that was a huge transition that we were having. So anyway, that's why I chose to do it. And then the second the second thing is... Well, you need to say you've been getting picked up by journalists on that. The reason we bring this up is because yeah. Michael keeps getting kind of pressed on that. Why have you done that? That's not accurate of the 80s newsrooms. You, you haven't been true to what actually happened. So you're kind of in this situation where, well, which one is it? <laughs> yeah, totally. And totally. And then also there's this element of, you know, I just want to cast the single best actor that auditions for every role. And, and, yeah. and like, for example, there's this cameraman, again, only a minor <gasps> person in... Oh. Yeah, Chai. about to mention Chai. Oh, my God, that's my well, only yeah. note. All my I say only is... Note, more Chai. Yeah, well... To just... Season two, I need more Chai. That's my only note. Oh, wait till... You've got to watch the rest of the series. Oh, my he's, God, I can't he's, wait. Just, he's, so he's, he's seated just... in there. <sighs> He just shimmers. He shimmers on screen. Like, he's so much more attractive than anyone else in the cast. I'm sorry to everyone else. Like, even Stephen Peacock. Nah. When Chai comes on screen... Magnetic. It's just... It's, it's like he's in another dimension to the other characters. It's like... He, he's luminescent. I think so you, you'll be happy with where the story goes. And, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I think when you look at that performance, like, no, who else? Like, he was the best person for that role. There's no mm-hmm. question. And I'm going to cast the best. And, 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 and then you, it's not colourblind casting because then we, then we work on the character and we work on their backstory and, and, and seed in, you know, how, how this person is in this position. And, you know, that's, that's mm. the approach that, that we took. But, uh, yeah, certainly it's, certainly it's something that people have uh, brought up, really which is so it. wild. Because I genuinely don't think the audiences of Australia who are going to watch this show are going to sit there and go, hang on, I have a problem with this. There wouldn't have been this many... 
people. Well, I, I just not. don't think that's a thing. I well, don't and also, think so. here's one thing that's pretty telling, and I haven't pulled this out in any interview, but I really notice it. Like, obviously, you know, there's lots of times where you uh, bend the truth to tell a good story. Oh, we're about to cover that with Jock Zonfrillo, but yes. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, and there's some. Um, you know, I can't show all the characters in the newsroom. Like, for example, there's two chief of staffs that do morning and afternoon. I have to, comp- I have to make all these changes. And, mm. and the biggest, single biggest thing that I've done, and this is just emsolators can be across this and you, mm. it's really blurry whether it's a national or a state-based news bulletin. And it's, it's obviously set in Melbourne. But it is ridiculous that Dale and Helen would find themselves at the centre of all these different stories. Like, one minute they're outside Lindy Chamberlain's jail, the next minute they're in the middle of Russell Street. Like, that, there's no way that, that two journalists could have been at the centre of all of that. And yet no one has questioned, <laughs> oh, is it inaccurate that these white two white people, and yet the first thing they bring up is, oh, but there are too many. Like, it's actually physically impossible, pretty much, for there have to have been two journalists that are doing what Dale and Helen is doing. It's not impossible that there could have been people of colour in the office. I mean, they, they're mm. definitely were examples of it. And it's just yeah. really interesting to me that I get asked a bazillion questions about one thing and then everyone just accepts the fact that Dale and Helen <laughs> are everywhere significant like they're friggin' Forrest Gump. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God, they are Forrest Gump. I love that. Well, everyone needs to watch. We insist. Sunday night, ABC, 8.30. You can catch up on all the other shows, whatever, if you're watching them, somewhere else. But we need to get behind this. It's brilliant. Now, we do... <laughs> Jogs on Frillo is at the centre of a bit of a shitstorm and I was umming and ahhing whether we would talk about it because it feels a bit like a bit close to home. Oh, it really does. And also, I just want to say that I think that the displacement over this is just, I mean, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm riding the emotional roller coaster with Jock. He exists <laughs> in my emotional life and what Pretty a week. Much. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like he's a friend or someone we like... Someone I have always conversed with. He once told me he was going to give me a vest. Didn't follow through, by the way, but I didn't ask for it. (laughs) That's so true. Well, he might. I don't know if he will I don't know. I'll hit him up this week. (laughs) Yeah. Look, it's a weird old one. So, Jock Zonfrillo, obviously, master chef, judge, restaurateur, chef, hot, Scottish-Italian man. There was a profile on him published in The Good Weekend last weekend, and it made some pretty fucking wild claims, basically. Mm. Uh, it was all kind of around, he re- released an autobiography called Last Shot, which, by the way, doesn't refer to like when Hamilton sings about, I am not throwing away my shot. That's not what that book refers to. The title of that book refers to the last time he shot up heroin in the public dunnies at Heathrow Airport. Before so, flying to Australia, yeah. Yeah. He made a pledge to himself. I didn't know that. <laughs> Oh, last shot was like, this is my last chance. But maybe it's kind of meant that way as well. Do you think it's a double entendre? I mean, is oh, that right yeah, term? no, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, like many a classic title. He wants as many different readings of that title as you can possibly yeah. get. So basically, Last Shot's come out. Juno Tim Elliott has done a deep dive on it and written this huge profile piece claiming that a lot of Jock's autobiography slash memoir is bullshit. And it's like, when I was reading the profile, because the pictures are extraordinary. The pictures, like, there's one shot where he's weeing up against a wooden, like, billboard thing in a kilt. And there's Is this very a weird clearing... time to say, I love the photo? <laughs> <laughs> of course you loved it. How's the close-up of him smoking, too? I mean, it's just... Actually, no, it's not even smoking. He's holding a, a, a match that's just gone out in his teeth. I mean... Anyway. Whoever styles, Jock has a very specific kind of styling of every photo that's ever taken of him. And I don't know who, I think it might be his wife. 
because I know she's a publicist, I think at the ABC. Right. But he always looks like really gritty and cool. And for a chef, that can be tough sometimes. But he looks gritty, cool and hot in every photo that's ever taken of him. So there's someone's orchestrating that. And to them I say fucking bravo. Honestly, oh, yeah. it's, it's chef's kiss styling. Oh, to the extent that this article, this contentious article, mm. I obviously read it all, but I, the impact of the pictures was so strong. I couldn't collect my <laughs> thoughts about the article. <laughs> so just so I'm clear, Jock consented to this profile piece. Like yeah. this was a thing that was done. And is it kind of, is it, did it turn on him or did he know it was going to turn on him? Did he, could he have known this was going to be? No, he couldn't have known. And I'm just going to say, I'm going through a few interviews at the moment and you never know what people are going to ask you. No, because it (laughs) it seems pretty clear to me that he consented to a normal interview for the promotion of the book and then this journalist has gone to check the sources that he refers to and in checking the sources, he's, yeah, he's found some disputed facts. And not just little things. No. Big things. So the journal disputed the fact that Jock was a heroin addict at all. He went and interviewed people that worked with Jock 12 hours a day, seven days a week, side by side, you know, in in tiny kitchens. And a few of them said, we never noticed anything, which which doesn't mean anything. No, because, yes. And he said that he said that he was an incredibly high functioning one that was profoundly invisible about it. Like he, you know, even from down to when and where and on where on himself he injected. So, I mean, he's not, that's not a direct clash with what, like a part of his story is that he was this, like he said that the, his wives didn't know. Yeah, so that one's a bit ambiguous. But the one that's really startling is Marco Pierre White, who's this famous chef. And if you're into food and stuff, you'll know who he is. And basically Jock painted him as this father-like figure who took him in, let him sleep on his couch and gave him jobs and basically really, really cared for Jock and, and what was happening to him. And the journo has contacted Marco Pierre White, who's disputed everything and basically almost kind of claim that he wasn't really that friendly with Jock. He's someone he kind of knew of, mm. but really distanced himself. And so I'm like, what? But then this morning I read a tweet from a dude who'd read Marco Pierre White's book and apparently in his book he refers to Jock and helping him. So I'm really confused. I know. What, well, my, which my, is it? My initial thought... What, you know where I ended up, and I, I will never know, I don't think, but where I ended up was, I mean, Jock is clearly a great storyteller and in the tradition of great storytellers, you know, maybe he does, you know, garnish the truth and everything. But in addition to that, the other thing that I kept coming back to is, of course, when he was working with Marco Pierre, he was, uh, you know, a junior, an underling, not well known. Mm. Like if mm. I were to write, I worked for Baz Luhrmann, if I were to write about working for Baz Luhrmann, of course I can remember everything, every single yeah. thing, because he was this big internationally famous director who was my boss and it was my early job. So I could, mm. I can recount stories. I think he could definitely look at a picture and say that was Michael, even the last name he might struggle with. <laughs> and he was a huge presence in my life. So I just, you know, maybe it's, for me, I sort of thought, I bet you maybe he was maybe gilding the lily a bit. But in addition to that, maybe it's not surprising that Marco Pierre doesn't really remember him the way, you know, Jock thinks of, of Marco. I don't know. Well, the other thing is he claimed to have visited hundreds of Aboriginal communities, which can't be substantiated. And look, and his real name's Barry, which was probably the most upsetting thing for me. But I think for mine, 
what Jock comes off as is a bit of a cad, a bit of, and, and also when you read the stuff around his failed business ventures and, mm. you know, creditors and filing for bankruptcy and perhaps not being great at business and ending up kind of leave, having to flee Adelaide. This is the way this journalist kind of, he had a few restaurants in Adelaide that didn't work and he's moved to Melbourne. I think that for me was probably the worst part of it all. But then does anyone care is my big ultimate question. Like, isn't this kind of working in that sense of Jock is a bit of a bad boy with a dubious past that's now focused on his family and master chefing and being a better human? Yeah. Like, I wonder in the scheme of things... <laughs> Again, if this was for a woman, this would we'd be having a different conversation. She'd be cancelled. She'd be out. She'd be screwed. Oh, no question. But he is an attractive, straight, white man. I don't feel like this is going to hurt him. No. I mean, it, it, yeah, the, one of the oddest things about it for me was this book feels like I had no knowledge of any of this. I just, I, I felt very invested in Jock just purely for his cooking ability, his charisma, and yes, the way he looks. That, that was what, that was all I needed <laughs> to trigger a full-blown obsession, complete obsession, and mm. obviously the accent. And, yeah, so this this really dramatic backstory, it's kind of neither here nor there to me. And then if do any, we need it? No, exactly. Do we need don't, it? I, don't, I don't need it. And, and especially now, yeah. now it makes me sort of feel a bit distanced from Jock as opposed to the intimate <laughs> relationship I thought I had. <laughs> Yeah, like now there's a question mark and there didn't need to be because I was perfectly happy to obsess over just the facts that I had. Yeah, I agree. It feels a bit Matt Damon-y. It feels a bit like he volunteered a bunch of information no one asked for, which has ended up kind of backfiring. Mm. So I, I will say I do, he's a bit more mysterious to me now and I, I'm interested to see how this plays out, if it plays out. Like, I, I, we'll see, we'll see. But a lot of people are like, Emmy, you're going to talk about Jock and I was like, oh, but I think we kind of had to. Which mm. we have. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. I want to move on to something way more fun, which is my new favourite show. I'm completely obsessed with. I'm on my second watch through, and it's called Hacks, and it's oh, on yeah. Stan. And I just cannot say enough good things about this show. <laughs> Mainly the reason I love it is because the two female leads don't have a fucking redemption arc. There's no growing. There's no likability. And that makes me love them. No one on that writing team felt the pressure to do what so many other shows do and that they have, you know, your female protagonist who's a bit rough around the edges and an awful bitch self-absorbed then has this moment of realisation and then she's totally redeemed and we love her. None of that. No. <laughs> this and this is why I love this show. This is why it's fresh. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of centred around Deborah Vance, who's a legendary Vegas comic and kind of on her way out. Feels like Joan Rivers. Did you, do you feel totally Joan, Joan Rivers? Yeah. It's Joan Rivers. There is no doubt in my mind that this is very much based on Joan Rivers. Mm. And Ava, who's a Gen Z comedy writer, who's kind of been cancelled a bit for some insensitive tweets. And she gets hired to write for Deborah. And the two of them kind of form this weird, unhealthy relationship and it is beautiful. <laughs> so much. Why are you here? I got a call this morning saying that you wanted to meet. Well, Jimmy sent you against my wishes. Good luck with your career, honey. Fucking bitch. Excuse me. Did you have something else to say? Yeah. So cool they let you move into a cheesecake factory. Is that where you wait tables? That seems like a better fit. I'd rather sling bang bang chicken and shrimp all day than work here, you classist monster. <laughs> 
We can start early tomorrow. The repartee back and forth, because they're both oh. obviously super sharp comic, and in some ways they're jousting when they're, they're firing back and forth yes. and wanting to impress each other is just exceptional. Also, the fake footage of her previous media career mm. is exceptionally well put together. It CGI. feels so authentic. God, it's amazing. Mm. Mm, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I love how it accurately portrays women in comedy, women in comedy writing. You get the performer and the writer perspective and it's not something we've ever really seen before. But Jean Smart, who oh. I first kind of became aware of Jean Smart because obviously I watched Designing Women with my mother. Like you and I are the products of sitting down in front of shows that were aimed at middle-aged suburban women. Yeah. <laughs> this, this shaped our viewing and our tastes. And she was a receptionist in Designing Women. And then from then on, obviously, she's been in... She's, she really has consistently worked for the last 50 years. Like she hasn't not worked. But this year... Oh. Oh. Yeah, she's is she she's in Mayor of Easton. Yeah, she plays she? Kate Winslet's mother. She's mm. exceptional in that. I, it could not be more of a different performance. <laughs> she's so unglamorous. She's only oh. she's only moderately sassy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she's having an incredible year, but also during the filming of Hacks, and I read a, a piece on her from the New Yorker. Her husband of thirty four years, her best friend died very suddenly of a heart condition that they were unaware he had and Mm. she had a week left of hacks to film and she showed up and that week they were filming the last episode which was a funeral scene. Mm. So she had to perform in that Mm. and when you watch it, knowing that, I I was a mess. Like I I just, yeah, that she showed up to shoot to make this thing while dealing with the loss of you know, the closest human to her, I just, it's extraordinary. Like it's the whole, oh my God, the whole thing. I just, it, I think it's the, my most favourite thing I've watched. I can't even remember the last time I felt this way about a show. The writing, some of the lines floor you. Like I was, I don't remember laughing out loud to a show like this in, fuck. I just. I've got so another brilliant. one actually at the moment that is, <gasps> that is, a lot of people are talking about it, The White Lotus. Oh, yeah, my cello's nearly finished that. Man, yeah. I'm going to watch it after it. It's good. It's a bit of a, it's, I would say it's, it, it absolutely divides people because it takes oh. time. The characters are mostly reprehensible. <laughs> my favourite type, yes. God, by, I would say if you're on the fence with it, just do hang in there till episode three because there are so many amazing payoffs. If you, Jennifer Coolidge is in it, who I think most people oh. would know as the Bend and Snap from Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde. This is her moment, my God. She is hilarious. <laughs> and again, there's this character, this gay character played by Murray Bartlett, an Australian actor, and it was revelatory to me, just as you were saying that the brilliant thing about hacks is that you see these women and they're, you know, they often make destructive, terrible decisions and are not redeemed yeah. and all that sort of stuff, and it's electrifying. I, I'm watching him, he makes some appalling decisions and really goes into morally dubious. And I realise we haven't had the confidence up until quite recently to portray gay men on screen like that because it felt like if there was a gay man on screen, they've just got to represent all gay men and they have to be sort of admirable. <laughs> and so to see this dude be so inappropriate makes such grievous mistakes, but still <laughs> you kind of love him. Was Anyway, I, for me, I've been flipping back and forth between the two oh. and um, I would say say they are both savagely funny looks at overprivileged white people but yeah. with a mix of absolutely acute criticism and also empathy like it's just so mm. satisfying 
Oh, well, I've been watching, I've been flipping between Hacks and Lin-Manuel Miranda's latest offering for Netflix, which is Vivo. Mm. And I just want to warn anyone who watches Vivo, like, it's so sad. It's so good. It's Hamilton in musical form with a tiny monkey, basically. Like, Lin-Manuel Miranda raps all the way through in Hamilton style. But it's so, why... Every single animated feature that comes out now has to cause an existential crisis in the parents. Like, it feels like cute characters, yep, merch, can we do merchandise? Yep. Will the parents have a nervous breakdown 20 minutes in? Yep, okay, great. Green light, off we go. That feels like the prereq now for everything I watch. I need something soon that is just frivolous and ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I'm close to writing an animation where it's just all like, and, and there's always a dead parent. Like, why must, why are we going after parents? So why? Classic fairy tales. Classic fairy tale. But with this show, with Vivo, you start your crisis about 12 minutes in. They don't even wait. Like, they don't even... Because Elio's been jumping between Soul, Coco and Moana. Like, and all of these shows are heavy. Mm. They're, they're heavy. And I really want to kind of steer him towards, I don't know, Ren and Stimpy, The Simpsons. Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to... But nah. He's in. He's in deep with Vivo. So that's the other show. He's he's like his mother before him. He wants to be on the emotional roller coaster. Oh, he does. He gets sad. Soon he'll find that life has strapped him to it and then he'll want the other (laughs) thing. But for right now, look how beautiful his world is. Oh, my God. So, all right. Well, look, I should let you go because you've got a very big day. You're at the office. But I just feel like you've, you've got the ears of 50,000 or so people right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> what do you want to say to them? <laughs> Come on. Is it really Pour uninspiring yourself. if I say, please watch my shows? <laughs> no, do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course, that's what I want to say. Yes, as you can tell, we've put all, uh, we've really, we've, you know, we've laughed and cried and poured our hearts into the characters of both Five Bedrooms and Newsreader. And so many people, honestly, it just so many hundreds of people come together to make a TV show and they all give 100%. And so I hope it shows. I hope it shows. I'm proud of you. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. Stay off Twitter. Fuck's sake, I will. Jesus Christ. I won't. You will no, not. No, I won't. No, no, you won't. Don't no. lie to me. I've known you forever. All right, off you go. Chat soon. Good luck. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. I'm speaking to you about every half hour before. The- yes, I will. Okay. okay, all right. Bye. I'll talk to you in 20 minutes. Okay, right. bye. <laughs> this is Emsolation. Okay, that's it. That's all we got time for. Hey. I think Marcella and I will be doing love nundrums again. Have some cocktails, put on our turbans and solve your love life's biggest issues. We did it last week and everyone seemed to like it and it helped you guys. So we're doing that again on my Instagram. Also, if you want to see us live, Emsolation Live, where wouldn't you in November, please come and support live performance. Yes, Michael and I on stage with Cella, with Ben. I'll sing some songs. It's at the Palais. I know we've got a lot of Melbourne Emsolators. Get on board. And whatever you're doing, go easy with yourself. You know, like, don't expect stuff. (laughs) It's been a long fucking 18 months. Just give yourself a break. You have my permission to give yourself a break, okay? Whatever you're doing is enough and it's good. Just know, oh, God, I'm feeling you all right now. I get it. Have a nice week and we'll chat next week. Do something nice for yourself today. I order it. In fact, when you hear me say do something nice for yourself, I want you to take a photo of whatever it is and going to be as small or as big as you want and I want you to tag me in it. I want you to tag 
Tag him Salation because Chella will see that. I don't see the tags on my Instagram account because it's too big. Humble brag. Take a picture of yourself doing something nice and I'll repost it on the Instagram of the Insulation Instagram. Wow, my brain has given up. All right, gang, that's it. I'm ending it. That's over. Oh, 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 before I go, I did a wonderful podcast. Yes, I cheated on my own podcast, but that's okay. These guys are amazing. And it ended up being quite a long chat. They've had to make it into a two-parter. <laughs> it's called She is Legend, and it's hosted by the amazing, and I think she's like a soulmate of mine. We like She's incredible. Justine Reed and Shoal Gage, both amazing, incredible women. They had me on their beautiful podcast and uh, look, when you listen to it, you'll be like, yeah, and we know this. We know a lot of this stuff, but it was really fun and they're great girls and you should go and support their podcast because, you know, there's nothing wrong. People sometimes feel weird about promoting other people's podcasts, not me. I just feel like you guys are allowed to listen to more than one podcast. I'm totally cool if you listen to other podcasts. Just know that. There's a lot of hours in the day to fill at the moment. So go and listen to She's Legend. They've interviewed some amazing people on there too. A lot of incredible women. All right, that's enough for me. Bye bye. I'm stringing this out because I don't want to go out of the bedroom because that means I'm going to be asked a million questions because they haven't been over to speak to me for two hours. And if this is over, then I got to go outside. And I don't want to go outside. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is a Spotify exclusive podcast hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by M. Rossiano. Edited by Mark DeVilla. With videos by Liam O'Bree. Socials by Marcella Rossiano Barrow. With assistance from Jim Evans and Georgia Watts. And occasional technical trickery and wizardry from M's dad Vinci. Get more from Emsolation with M. Rossiano by following Emsolation Podcast on Instagram. You can also join our secret club by joining our Facebook group at Emsolation. And make sure you're following us on the Spotify app. We, of course, hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll chat with you again soon. Listener.